Look at him now. Well, thanks. Let's give a round of applause, Bev. Okay, well, if the, the children would like to go to their group. Okay. So, how are we all doing? We're all, all rejoicing. That's good to know. So, um, as I explained, if you weren't here at the beginning, I'm going to explain again kind of what you might have missed. So what we're doing today is we're looking at the question of what is church? Um, and so part of what, what I wanted to do today was uh, mix things up a little bit. Um, because the idea is then to provoke the question, what is church? Okay, and, and because if we just get very used to stuff, then we don't ever question things. And so that's part of the question. And, and we are in a period of change. So we're in a period of, of things moving we don't quite know where or what, but when we're going through change, there are some questions we need to ask. The first is, well, what? What are we trying to change? The next one is why? And the next one is how? And, and we can go through these different questions about change so that we can then adequately know what's going on. And so when we're thinking about church, what we want to do is understand what church is. Because if we don't understand what church is, then we can't understand the what, the why, or the how. Um, so I've got um, part of what I want to do is to make this a bit interactive I know some people like you might be one of those people that when they say right we're going to do a team exercise you're like oh no I hate these kind of things um, but why can you hopefully you've got a newsletter has everyone got a newsletter if you haven't Mark's going to give you a newsletter purely for the purpose of you need to turn it over and on the back you want to take a pencil I want you to draw something this is not an art competition, so do not worry about doing a masterpiece. Um, if you haven't got one, sit down and Mark will bring one to you. Thanks. Can you grab a bunch and pass them around? Huh? I'll pass it. I think I've got enough there. Yes. Grab, grab some and pass them around. Sure. Grab, grab some, pass them around. Grab a bunch. <laughs> pass them around. Thanks, Jim. All right. If you haven't got a pencil, we'll get you a pencil. Okay, what I want you to draw on the back of your newsletter is church. Draw church. I'm only going to give you a minute, so I'm not giving you long. I want you to draw church. Don't copy. No looking. <laughs> Are you just so spiritual? All in one. Well, don't say it yet. Shh. Pencils are, they were over here last, no, over there. There. Just, don't, no talking. This isn't... <laughs> <laughs> just draw church okay you've got about 20 seconds left if you still need it again this is not about masterpieces although if someone thinks if someone thinks there's is we can frame it and put it on the wall okay what I want you to do now is just with the person next to you explain why you draw, drew what you draw drew, drew why you drew what you drew why? So what that? Because again, they might not recognise what it is. So you might. Oh, look at Max. Look at him, all technical. Oh, look at me. And we do. You married him. Okay, we're going to bring that together now. Hopefully, you've been able to explain yourself. It's like Pictionary 
but in church. Okay. Would anyone like to... Does anyone think my neighbour had a really good picture and they want to share it? Does anyone in the neighbour have a really good picture? I'm not asking if you had. No? Steve did. What was your picture, Steve? Loads of people. Amen. So it's not the building, it's the people. Let me show you, show you, actually, first of all, I did some really good research on this, and I went to Google, and I did a Google image search for church. And what do you think I found? Buildings. As far as I could scroll down with the, without the kind of load more button, was just building after building after building after building. Some very lovely buildings, nice little parish churches out in the countryside, some really, like, impressive buildings but they were just buildings I, I drew my one this morning because I thought I'd get ahead and it's a really bad drawing now basically it's people with fire coming down on them that's what I drew because again for me when we think about church it's about the people but with God because you can have a group of people but if God's not there is it a church there's the question what did you get? With the cloud. Amen. Amen. Okay. When I was thinking about church, I need another prop here. When I was thinking about church, I, came, I, think, I thought about the theory of Trigger's Broom. Now, if you know anything about Trigger's Broom, it's a deep theological, philosophical theory, and it comes from only fools and horses. Um, and Trigger was a, a road sweep for the council. And he got an award because he saved the money. And he saved the money because he told them, I've, only, I've had the same broom for 20 years. I've had the same broom for 20 years, which is quite a feat. They did say to him, what, did you never use it? No, I used to sweep all the time. He said, I've got the same broom. Over those 20 years, I've had 17 heads and 14 different handles. <laughs> and as some bright spark then pointed out, it's not the same broom then, is it? And I thought about this in terms of church. I thought, how much in terms of church do you have to add, do you have to take away before it's no longer church? Because when we're looking at church, we want to think about what is church. And there are things we do differently to other people, they do differently to us. What do we have to add or what do we have to take away before it is no longer a church? Okay, so we're going to get your opinions on this little poll. If you can, put your hand up. Everyone, that is. Yes, now, put your hand up. I'm going to go through a list. I'm going to go through a list, and when you think this is no longer a church, you can put your hand down. Or if you just get a really tired arm, then you can put your hand down. Okay. If you're struggling, just go like kind of that. Just try a little bit, or help your neighbor. Okay. So, is it, the question is, is it a church if it doesn't have a stained glass window? A stained glass, if it, if it doesn't have a stained, is that still a church? Does, is it a church if it doesn't have a church building? Is it a church if it doesn't have a children's ministry? Is it a church if it doesn't serve tea? <laughs> <laughs> I know we're getting to the deep parts now. Is it a church if it doesn't have worship? Is it a church if it doesn't have teaching? Is it a church if it doesn't share the Lord's Supper? Is it a church if it doesn't have prayer? Is it a church if it doesn't have people? I can see towards the end, some of you are like, oh, I'm not, not too sure, I'm not too... Like, it depends how you define some of these things. I, I read a story this week of a priest who had a church. He was the only one in it. And every day he would administer mass. And his, his opinion was, if, if I'm giving mass every day, that is what church is. But there was no one there. And maybe I, I questioned, does he understand really what church may be? A lot of love. Good. Let me ask you a question. Is it a church if you get three people meeting in a coffee shop 
for Bible study and prayer? Uh, is it a church if you have a group of Christians who go to a curry house for a curry? <laughs> okay. I, I, part of what I'm doing today, I'm not going to... I'm not going to have to give, or well, I'm not able to give all the answers because I don't have all the answers. But I want you to start thinking about, again, what is church? Okay, so when we think about the church, we need to think about, okay, what does the Bible say? That's a, let's, let's get grounded in the scriptures. Who here knows the word for church in the Bible? The Greek word? Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Pete's got a northern accent when he says it. Um, and so, the word, does anyone know what the word means? <laughs> Thanks. Gathering, called out ones, assembly. Um, it has this idea. I th as I looked at it, and th as I looked into this a bit more this week, you realise Christians disagree on it. Is that a surprise? No. Christians love to disagree. Um, but what... The essence of it is meaning is that we, the church is a distinct assembly. But it's not the same, it's distinct, it's an assembly. And who knows where Jesus first talked about church? Little question, little quiz. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Okay. When we talk about church though, again, this kind of raised it, well, what, when we talk about church, what are we talking about? Because there are four different, maybe, expressions of what church is. So when we talk about church, we talk about the global church. Because when we're praying about for Bev and kind of sending her out, she's not leaving the church, are you? What you're doing, you're leaving this church. When I go to India or I've been to South Africa, I've been wherever you might go in the world, you are part of the church and you meet people who are part of the church. And so you have the church, which is global. Then you could say, well, what about the church in the UK? So you could talk about kind of a regional church. Then you could talk about, well, the church is here, this, this group. We are a, a local expression of church. And then you could talk about just maybe a smaller group, maybe a, a home group or something like that, or maybe even a group at a curry house eating curry that could be kind of a representation of church. But in the world, it's reckoned there are around 2.2 billion Christians. Now, I don't know how they kind of get that number. Obviously, someone with a lot of time has gone around counting. And so there's research that's gone into this. But if you think about that and define that as church, how would that church assemble? Can that church ever assemble? I think only when God does a miracle and brings everyone home. But, you know, I, I, we try and arrange a venue for Mission Life Grace Conference for 250 people, and that's hard enough. Try and find a venue for 2.2 billion. But when we think about who's included in that number as well, who do we include? So do we include people who turn up at a church building? Are they included? If you want to say, these are the Christians in the world... Does it include just everyone who has attended a church? Does it include people who never go to church? Because, again, in some of my reading this week, I was reading about the church in Afghanistan. And in the church in Afghanistan, if you become a Christian, it's recommended you don't tell anyone you're a Christian for seven years. Because the chances are, if you tell someone, they will basically dob you in and you'll be killed. And so you wait seven years to realise who you can trust and who you can't trust. So someone could be a Christian and no one ever know. Are they counted in the 2.2 billion? What is a Christian? And this is why the question we looked at last week is so important. We're asking the question, like, what is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Because in the end, I believe that the church is made up of disciples. That, because there were lots of people who followed Jesus. We read that, don't you? That there was, we had the feeding of the 5,000. Now that was just men. There was, and there, so there were women and children in addition to that as well. So you had the feeding of the 5,000. Yet how many were there in the upper room at Pentecost? There was 120. 
What happened to everyone? Where did they all go? Was it just because, well, the church was meeting there, but then they didn't invite everyone to the upper room because they couldn't fit? Or was it when Jesus said certain things, some people thought, oh, I'm not having that. I don't want to follow Jesus and do that. Like, I'll, I'll go so far, but I'm not doing that. And so the problem is we have many people who are kind of on the periphery, who might come to a church building, who might have friends who are Christians. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're a Christian. They are what? Attendees. <laughs> Sorry, we're waiting for the gift of interpretation there. Um, that's why we've got the body, many parts to support one another. Yeah, they are attending. And, and that's not a bad thing that people attend because that's how we might get them to know about Jesus. But the question is, we don't, we don't want is people then thinking, I've attended, therefore I'm a disciple. Because in the end, if we have a warped idea of, who Je- of what a disciple is, then we're going to end up with a very warped church. Okay. So what is a Christian? And I use the word Christian, believer, disciple. To be honest, I use them interchangeably. Um, Paul says, it is one who is baptized by the Spirit into one body with Christ as the head. So a Christian, and maybe you say, is this me, who is baptized by the Spirit into one body with Christ as the head. So this occurs when we're made alive through the forgiveness of sins. It says that we were once dead in our sins, but now we've been made alive with Christ. We've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought in to the kingdom of light. And so this is what it means to be a Christian. And maybe you're saying, well, that's not me. Well, great, because you've got an opportunity then to become a Christian, to become a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And so many followed, but they weren't part of the body. And I believe the truth is that something supernatural needs to happen in our lives. It's not just joining a club. And this is the thing. You can join many associations. You can join many gatherings of people. But when you join, whether it's the, the, the scouts or whether you join the Rotary Club or whether you join even Threads of Grace, you know, it isn't something supernatural that happens to make you a member of that. But when you join the body of Christ, something new happens. You're made a new creation. You're born again. And you are added into that body which is Christ's body. And so that, in a sense, we realise that the church is made up of those people. And I hope this morning that you feel that you are one of those people. And I said, if, you're, if you don't feel you are, there's no reason you can't be. So what should the church do? I want you just again, turn to your neighbour or three in threes and just think, come up with three things that you think is the role of the church, what the church should do. Okay. There are more than three things, but I just want you to come up with three. Is it, what's the table at the back got? Robert? <laughs> okay, I'll give you another 15 seconds. Okay, who would like to give me one suggestion? Don't all rush. Go on. Teach. Pray. Okay? Sorry? Encourage. Any other things? Teach, pray, and encourage. Spread the good news. Oh, sorry. Transform. Glorify God. Worship. Anything else? 
What, so how do we define that? What's the good biblical word? Fellowship. Fellowship, yes. Yeah, being a light. Change what? We'll see about that. Because if you go around the world, what do you find many churches being? And again, this is not everywhere, but you can go to many places around the world and churches are tourist attractions. Churches are monuments. And the church was not meant to be a monument. It's meant to be a movement. And so, again, if we think back to what Jesus said, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if you get the idea of what Jesus is doing through his church isn't a monument, it's a movement, it's a battle. It has a purpose. It has a mission. Who can remember how Peter described the church? He said that we are living stones. Because, again, a monument, you expect to go somewhere and see it. And that's where you'll see it. But living stones, again, this is where you have to use your imagination. Uh, I always think, what does that look like to build something with living stones? It must be very hard because they keep moving. But the point is that you're alive. You're doing something. You're not static and stagnant. You're not a monument, but you're moving and you're prevailing against things. And that is how God has called his church to be. There are two kind of areas I want to look at and one was mentioned by Drew's little group and that is to glorify God and if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 27 no 22 sorry Matthew 22 I've got bad handwriting we're going to look at verse 37, because it says that a teacher of the law, sorry, a, a, a lawyer came to, to Jesus, and he came with this really interesting question, and he said, teacher, this is verse 36, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment, the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. They were looking for the answers. They were looking for what should we be, what should we do. And Jesus said, the greatest thing you can do is this, love. The greatest thing you can do is love. But love who? Love what? We have to first of all love God more than anything else. And again, we looked at things last week where he's saying, you must love me above anyone else to be my disciple. You can't be my disciple if you have other things that you love more than me. What do you mean? To love God. I, I personally would say it means that everything about you considers him before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think for God personally, I'd say that it's, is God first? Is God foremost? Will, what influences my decisions? Because, again, when I think about what I'm doing with my time, what I think about how I do with my money, how I interact with my family, my friends, other people, it goes through the lens of who God is and what God wants. And, again, when we say we become a disciple... The verse that John read last week was about taking up your cross. And that means death. It means death to self. Death, death to self-loving in that sense because our natural disposition is to say, I'm first. I'm the one in charge. I make the decisions. And so when we're saying we love God first, we're saying God is first and I will follow him. And this was the problem, that you had those people who were following Jesus. And when Jesus said something hard, when he said to them, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they went, I'm out of here. They didn't like it. Whereas he turned to his disciples and they said something very differently. They said, where have we to go? They might not have liked it. They might have been confused by it. They might not have understood it. 
But they knew they didn't have anywhere else to go because Jesus had the words of eternal life. And therefore, what they had to do was say, I don't get it, but I'm going to submit myself to you, God. And then he says to love our neighbours as ourselves. Sorry. Yep. When you first wake up, what, what are you thinking about? So, yeah. yeah, it's very interesting because I know where Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And to me, to be honest with you, I know where I don't keep my com- his commandments, it shows that I've not put him first. It shows that I need to love him more and grow in my love for him and decide to put him first. And then we have the expression of how we love one another. How do we put each other before ourselves? Because again, in the Bible it says, submit yourselves one to another. Submit to each other. Choose to love others before yourself, which is a real challenge to us. And that's the thing, because if we try and just do this in our own strength, we will fail. Because, again, naturally in our sinful state, we revert back to loving ourselves. But when we encounter the love of God, we're changed by that. There's definitely more to it, and uh, that's, a, that's a whole sermon for another day, really. But again, when we've experienced the love of God, that's what should then influence how we relate to him and how we relate to others as well. And so love needs to be our motivation. We can't come and be a church that is self-centered. Because if we're a church that is self-centered, what we'll be looking at is, how does church bless me? What is there in here for me? How does church entertain me? How does it satisfy me? What are my preferences in church? And, and again, you might have heard this again and again, where people will come to a church or leave a church and say, well, it didn't meet my needs. I tell you, I believe that the church is to meet Christ's needs. It's not to meet our needs. It's not here. We are not here for us. We are here for him. And that's our challenge, because again, our natural disposition is to be about us. It's interesting, um, my brother, he belongs to a church in South Africa, and the name of the church, on one hand I think it's a rubbish name, on the other hand I think it's a brilliant name, because the name is God First. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like a normal name for a church, but it's God First, and it shows, at least in their heart, that they want to put God First above everything else. And... So when we're thinking about church, we need to be thinking about how do we put God first above everything else? Putting God first. So then we go into Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 is quite famous. And you, you might have said it yourself, or you might have heard others say it, that we want an Acts church. Has anyone ever thought that themselves? You know, we want an Acts 2 church. But there's a root in that to have an Acts 2 church and what that means. And if you look at verse 42, there's a word that stands out for me. It says, and they were devoted. They were devoted. So devoted means that we're, I looked it up in the dictionary, loyal, faithful, steadfast, constant, true, committed, devout. 
They were devoted. They were devoted to Christ. But they were also devoted to one another. Are we a devoted church? Are we a devoted church? Now look around you. Maybe this is one of the good reasons for being in a circle. You can see who you're thinking about. And you can say, am I devoted to these people? Because again, if we come and we just are on the periphery, if we come and it's just about us, then we're going to really struggle to find devotion to one another. And there are so many things that came out of this devotion. If I read it, it says, they devoted themselves to the, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And what was the result of this? It says, awe came over them upon every soul. So awe filled the place. Do we want to be a church that is full of awe? It said many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Do we want to be a church that has many signs and wonders being done? I know it's something we've been praying about recently. It said, and all believed were together and had all things in common. So they cared for one another. They came together. There was a oneness about them. It said they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they weren't looking at things and saying, well, this is mine, this is mine. There wasn't a self-centered attitude. It was a, how can I use what God has blessed me with to bless others, to care for others, to meet the needs of others. It said, day by day, they attended the temple together. So they were going to the temple, they were worshipping together. It said, and breaking bread in their homes. So they were having that fellowship, that communion with one another. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. So there was praise in their hearts and there was favour with outsiders. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And so there was multiplication, there was salvation happening. But at the heart of that was this word, devoted. They were devoted to God and devoted to one another. How do we outwork the purposes of God? Again, if we turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me go back a page. It's a lot harder not having a, a thing to put your Bible on. <laughs> In verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so what we hear is that the church was an equipped church. It was an equipped church. And so some amongst them were appointed and given responsibility for the equipping of others. But what was the purpose of this? It said for the work of ministry. And throughout history we, we have fallen in, and when I say we, I mean the church globally, and obviously not everyone falls into this category, but the church has fallen into this pattern of saying this person we will appoint and they will do all the work. These are the chosen, these are the anointed, and they are the ones who can do all the work. They're the holy ones, so they're the ones who will do the praying. They are the ones who will break the bread. They can do everything. But that was never the intention, I believe, of what God has for us. We believe in what is called the priesthood of believers. And that means that everyone who would call themselves a member of this church has an important role in this church. In, and that's why Paul uses that picture of the body of Christ. Because if you think about your body, if you have something that isn't working or isn't working well, it impacts the whole body. And again, we've heard many sermons on this, so hopefully I don't need to go too much into it, or you can go back in the archives and find them. But I know, like, if your kidneys are working at 50%, you're in trouble. 
And so it might not be on the, the glamorous side, it might not be the thing that's on show, but every part is essential, and this is what we read in Scripture. We can't have any part, really, that is working at, at 50%, otherwise it will impact the whole body. And this is, again, so if we believe that one person should do it all, that's just one part of the body just working over, over the top, and so the body is not going to be healthy and it's not going to be any good. We also believe that ministry is not confined to the church. Because, you know, if you have people who are appointed to equip others, then the idea is not that we just all come together for a nice holy huddle where we all bless one another and we all just see miracles in the church. Again, if we look at the book of Acts, we see how the miracles were happening everywhere, outside, with people who are not believers. And I believe God is stirring the church again in this age to be outside the confines of a church building. That we are in the streets, we are in the homes, we are in the workplaces, ministering God. And so when you read about all the things that we're doing, do you believe that you are part of that picture? Do you say, well, no, 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 that's all right. You know, Daniel can do that. Daniel can pray for the sick. John can preach the word. All these kind of things. You know, obviously, not everyone can do everything at one time. If we all came and said, I want to preach today, I think there might be a bit of trouble or we'd be here a very long time. But everyone can participate. And I remember even preaching this maybe a year ago, that everyone gets to play. There's no spectators. Church is not a spectator sport. It's a participatory, participatory activity. And so what hinders us maybe from being the church that God wants us to be? I believe something we need to do is to think about what are the key aspects of church and then think about how do we relate these to the world we're in. The bi- Christianity has al- always really been re- relatable I don't know if that, or relevant. If we think about the Gospels, that you have four different Gospels, Matthew wrote his Gospel to relate to a Jewish audience. And so he was re- changing maybe what he wrote, because someone else might have come and said, well, you need to put this in, or you can't use this word. But he would have said, no, to relate to my audience, I need to say this and use this word. And so maybe for us who don't have a very Jewish mindset, we might struggle with some of those things or not understand them fully. But for the Jews, they would. Who remembers General Booth? So, personally. (laughs) So General Booth took the pub songs of the day, took the tunes and put the new words to them so that he could be attracted to the people in that society because how could they those how can he reach those in the pubs how can he reach them and he used music to do so the apostle paul when he was in athens he went to a place called mars hill and something he did he used the philosophers of the day as a way of engaging and connecting with them he said i've seen all these statues you've got around the place but i noticed there's one statue that says to the unknown god Perhaps I know who that is. So he used those things that were around in the culture. I thought about the the missionary Hudson Taylor, who when he went to China, dressed as a Chinaman. He took on the the outfit he he wore so that he wasn't something different, but he tried to blend in with them. And Paul says this, I think, really importantly, when he said that he became all things that he might save some. And I wonder, do we have that attitude as a church? I believe a church has to have that attitude. And not that we can be absolutely everything. We can't be everything to everyone. What we do, we live in a very diverse area. And if we try to be everything, absolutely everything to absolutely everyone, I think we'd send ourselves crazy. But I think this is why there are many different churches that have different flavour, different aspects that we might be, we might reach all different types of people. Are we an all things church? What lengths are you willing to go to that you might save some? 
what lengths are you willing to change church? Whether it's to change this church or go to a different church or whatever. What are you willing to do so in your life that you might save some? I believe that if things do not evolve, they die. Now you can apply that to any area of life. Does anyone remember going to Blockbuster Video? Yeah? Now, bad news, the, late, the last store closed last year for Blockbuster because no one wants video cassettes. No one really even wants DVDs anymore. Because of the revolution of online streaming, things changed, needs changed, wants changed, habits changed, so something became obsolete. I worked, when I worked in London, I worked a lot with printers. And so they would, print was a big business, big business. But for companies who didn't see the coming digital revolution, those businesses closed. They had to adapt and change. They had to streamline. They had to get new equipment. They had to change their approach, become online rather than just physical. Things had to change, otherwise they died. Think about churches across the country. Churches that once had mighty moves of God in them, yet now they've got a handful of people, the faithful few. And that's not saying that they don't love God, that they aren't believers. But sometimes because of our desire to stay the same, sometimes because of our desire to do things the way we like to do them, if we don't adapt as God leads us, then we will die. I thought this in terms of health. You know, I'm getting older. We all are. But part of what I want to do in my life, I don't want to wait till I have a health scare before I do something about it. You know, if I want to live a good life, a long life, I need to change habits earlier so that I don't wait till I'm ill before I try and change something. Because for one, it might be too late. But also then I could save myself a whole load of hassle otherwise. And I wonder if it's the same in church. Because what I believe is, I believe we've got a great church. Yeah? Can I get an amen, anyone? I believe we've got a great church. And, and it's been even encouraging in these, as we've had these discussions in the past few weeks, you just hear more and more of what God is doing. That God is using people in this church. And that is brilliant. And I think part of what we're considering is not because we're dead. Or even dying, in that sense. But there's an ongoing consideration of how do we adjust things so that we might continue to follow God, be obedient to God, and be relevant to the society we're in. And so one of the questions we have to ask is, well, what is the society we're in? Because, again, it's many things. There are four things that I kind of highlighted. One is that it's a post-truth society. And John preached on this not too long ago. And what that means is that you, you could talk to someone and you can lay out a really clear case for something. And you might have seen, heard books like The Case for Christ, which is where a lawyer has gone through and methodically argued why the resurrection is true. But we live in a society where someone will have a great case put before them and they'll say, yeah, I just don't believe it. And no matter of reasoning, no matter of logic, no matter of evidence will convince them. So this is why people are still saying, yeah, the, the earth is flat. Because no matter what evidence they're given to the contrary, they're saying, well, I think it's flat. And that's, that's okay. And that's the kind of culture we live in. So imagine how to try and explain the gospel to somebody in that context. We live in a secular culture. And it was very interesting, my friend Pierre in India, he said, the problem you have in England is that there's no belief. Because if you believe, because historically, people would go to school, they go to church, and they'd hear about Christianity, they'd hear about belief. They don't hear about that anymore, on the whole. And so, where's your starting point when you want to share the gospel with somebody? You're not, you haven't got kind of an understanding about belief. Again, when I went to South Africa, there's a belief there. Not all good belief. There's a lot of witch doctors and things like that. 
but there's a belief in the, the spiritual, in the supernatural. So you've got a way in. Whereas here, there's, people have no belief. I remember somebody coming here from Russia, and again, it was very similar, that there was no belief there. It had become a secular society. So just to gain the understanding of something more than us was difficult. We live in a disconnected society. More and more is online. And so the question is, how do we help people have authentic relationships? And lastly, we have an opposed society. I couldn't think of a better word for it. But increasingly, there's an opposition to the gospel. And if it follows a logical conclusion, I can only imagine that there are certain things about Christianity that will become illegal. That's illogical. Now, I believe God can intervene and change things, so it might not get to that point. Who knows? But it could do. Because, you know... People want tolerance, they want free speech, but sometimes you find the most people who are preaching tolerance are very intolerant when people disagree with them. And so, what we don't want to do is have a church that is so narrow that it can't be relevant to its society. And again, I'm not saying our church is that, but it's something that we need to always be mindful of and consider. What we don't want to become is passive and just letting things go by. We don't want to become, have wrong thinking that isn't helpful. We can build a church on man's traditions that deny the power of God. And so we become more man-focused than God-focused. We can get caught up in so many extra things that we lose the real essence of what church is. Again, in the book of Acts, it said they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. How do we outwork these things today? How do we outwork them in this society? Because again, if you look at what they did, they went to the temple. Well, the temple doesn't exist anymore, so we can't go to the temple. They also lived probably very close together, whereas we spread out a bit more. So how do these things operate in today's society? We don't want to be an exact copy of the Acts 2 church, but what we want to do is take out the principles of what they were about, what they were saying teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Those were the four things that they said. And you can read into that how that was outworked through generosity, care for one another. Signs and wonders. All these different things coming from that foundation. All churches are not the same, but we need to be relevant. Again, when I was in India, they do this really well. Well, the churches I'm involved in, because they realise they can't be like our church. Because one thing that puts people off is they think, oh, it's a Western thing. So it's an English thing. And so they have to make sure that they are culturally relevant to their society. Say so this is not an English Western thing. It is, it's a global thing. It's a spiritual thing. And it's relevant to you. And so what we want to be asking ourselves, there are some things I just think we need to as we go about this week, is to question and ask. Is one, I think, do we need to tweak things or do we need to rethink things? Because sometimes you can just tweak things and do things a little bit differently. But sometimes you have to really rethink things in order to be the difference you need to be. One question that, we can, that people do ask is, will it work? So as we think about change in church, you can say, well, will it work? I believe that's the wrong question. Because if we look through the scriptures, very few of God's plans would ever work if we sat down and tried to think about it. When he said, walk around Jericho, will it work? No. That would have been the logical conclusion to that. So the question, will it work, is not really the question we want to ask. What we want to ask is, has God said? And over the, again, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at that. Has God said? We can ask, is it biblical? Because again, God has said things in the scriptures. And so we can look at these and hold them up against the scriptures and say, are these things contrary to what God has said in the Bible? Because we don't want to be contrary to what the Bible says. Again, that's where you're looking at principles rather than specifics. And my last question Am I willing to submit and obey? 
Because I believe this can often be at the heart of whatever it is in our lives before God. Am I willing to submit and obey? Because what it means to be a disciple is to lay down your life and to take up your cross and follow Christ. To do so, you can't be in charge. And God, again, has given us clear things about how we submit, how we submit to one another as well. And so, again, going back to the Scriptures and seeing, what does God say about how I relate to one another? How do I hear the voice of God? How do I obey these things? Because, again, if, if what we want is our own preference, our own comfort, then I don't believe that we're going to be the church that God wants us to be. We want to put God at the centre and then seek him for these things. And that's what we're doing in these days. And so I encourage you to do that. Amen. One of the key aspects of what they did as a church was break bread. And again, as part of this opportunity just to rethink what we're doing, I want us to break bread together. So, Mark, could you bring the table? Steve, could you give me a hand? In the Bible, when it talks about breaking bread, Jesus said, this is, my, this is my body that is broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when he did that, um, they did it in remembrance. If you read in the book of Corinthians, yeah, if you want to bring that over and put it on the table, that'd be great. He did this in the book of Corinthians, and Paul wrote to the Corinthians and saying, you guys are doing it really badly. It's good that you're breaking bread, but you're doing it really badly because they were doing it in a wrong way. Now, the wrong way they were doing it is some people were getting there early and eating all the food, and some people were getting there and drinking all the drink and getting drunk. Now, so I think it's a real challenge for us when we think about how do we do the breaking of bread? Because, you know, if we just take a little morsel of bread, a little thimble of drink, for one, no one's going to get drunk, because it's not even alcohol. Um, and no one's going to steal all the food or be gluttonous on that kind of... So, what I want us to do is just... I've put some bread, I've got some drink, and all I want us to do is to think about what did God want us to do when he told us to do this in remembrance of him? And how can we do it in this setting? Okay, so it's a bit of a challenge for you. There are elements here. I have bread. I have gluten-free bread as well. So we've got, I have hummus. I don't think it's gluten-free hummus. But it's vegetarian and vegan. Um, but there's an opportunity to come. And I want you to just have a think for a minute about when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to think about that for a moment. What did God want us to do? And I want you to come and partake and fulfill what you think God was meaning in that moment. Okay? Any questions?